Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Let's join together in our prayer, uh, in our time together with prayer. Dear gracious Father, Lord, we just thank you so much that you've privileged us with uh, the great joy of coming together in your house. Lord, we thank you that you've blessed us with uh, this this time in which we can study your word and allow it to penetrate into our hearts, allow us to come closer to you. Father, we pray that you will bless us and encourage us. Lord, that your spirit might speak into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And today what we are hoping to look at is a passage of Scripture uh, that uh, James is dealing with. James has a, a great concern with the believers of uh, the church that he's writing this letter to is the Jacobian uh, church there. He's he's seeking to to share with them. There's a difference, and it's a difference that a lot of people tend to not really grasp today uh, in their own lives. James was talking to them about the difference between just merely being a Christian and being a person of Christ that, that, that people are able to notice and to see. And what I mean by that is, is today uh, we would say uh, uh, you have some people that are a Christian in name only. They call themselves a Christian. They say they're a member of a church. They say that they belong to uh, Christ, but you couldn't care. You couldn't tell in the least bit by the way they act, with the way they talk, with the way the things they do. You couldn't tell that they're any different from anyone else in the world uh, by the way that they live. And what James's desire is in the book of James is to help those Christians to to not only know Christ within their heart, but allow Christ to permeate throughout their life to the point where uh, people are able to to see the the change, the effect that God has had upon their life. And one of the things that James is very concerned with is uh, the aspect of of wisdom and having wisdom and to be able to show that you have uh, wisdom. In fact, James tells in chapter 1 how to have wisdom. He says in verse 5, he says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him, but let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich 
in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen in the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereon falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised him to them that love him. So, and, and he keeps going on and on about about having wisdom and about having life and and having you know uh I really wasn't planning on on preaching this sermon because of of uh anything that was happening in the news but it kind of just fits along with it uh you know uh we recently uh heard the news of one of the Supreme Court justices passing away and <coughs> so many people uh, uh, liken someone who has attained that type of, of position and that type of, of title in their life to be someone who has attained great wisdom in their life and has, has great wisdom in the understanding of, of, uh, of life and how it works and what is the right way to live and how to live that particular way. And, and, uh, but primarily... Uh, we look for someone that would attain that position to be someone who is uh, very knowledgeable in the law. But there's something more than just simply knowledge of the law. We want someone who is wise in the ways of how they should live their life. Because so much these days is being determined not by our legislators as the law of the land was originally intended uh, to be uh, administered to those who are a part of this country. Uh, it was intended for the representatives of this country, uh, people who were elected from among the population to go and make the laws. But it seems as though our lawmakers are uh, advocating that responsibility to someone else because they don't want to have the responsibility of having taken a stand. They, in my opinion, would lack wisdom as James is trying to illustrate and demonstrate here. They lack wisdom because they do not desire to demonstrate their lack of wisdom by taking a stand by, uh, on the things, the principles they know to be right and just. So they leave it for somebody else. And so rather than they making the laws that, uh, that rule our nation, uh, those, that responsibility has been shoved over to the, uh, the judicial branch of the government. Uh, uh, you know, we have the legislative, the judicial, and the executive. And, and so much of what happens is rather than the representatives uh, representing us, we have that responsibility being shoved over to the judicial. And, and so we expect someone who is in these key important roles within our nation to, to show wisdom and to show understanding and to be able to know uh, how we should live. And James here says it's, uh, wisdom is, has always been important. Wisdom has always been something that has been of great value. Um, he, he says, look, in verse 22 he said, of chapter 1, he says, Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Why is this important? Because if you are someone who has 
more than just simple knowledge. You would not only just simply know what the law is, you would do the law and apply it to your life. True wisdom is being able to uh, uh, do what God desires of you and following God's direction in your life. For if any man is a hearer only of the word and not a doer, he is like to a man that belongs uh, belongings uh, his natural face in a glass, uh, beholds his face in, an, in a glass, uh, for he hath beholded himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth the manner of the man he was. Uh, James is speaking specifically about the manner of the man or the woman that you see in the mirror. It's not just simply uh, a metaphor in terms of, of simply saying a wise man does more than just simply sees himself in the mirror and remembers what he looks like. He, what he's talking about is, 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 are you able to look in the mirror and see within yourself the wisdom that God has placed within you, the wisdom that God desires for you to have? Uh, are you displaying the wisdom of God in your life? And so uh, over here in chapter 3 is where we are. And we're looking at verse 13. And he, uh, and he says, he kind of comes back around after talking about uh, being a wise man, how to be a wise man, how to apply wisdom in your life and to live the kind of life that God wants you to live. And he comes back to the point of saying, what truly is a wise man? He says in verse 13, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom uh, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. One of the interesting things that you'll find out about wisdom is, is that it is uh, greatly valued. It's more than just simply what you know in your head. It's who you know in your heart that really determines whether or not you are someone of great wisdom. In fact, uh, we uh, know of someone who is truly wise, uh, and uh, it is uh, Solomon. Solomon uh, uh, wrote in the Psalms, it says in Psalms 14.1, it says, Only the fool has said in his heart, There is no God. And uh, so we know and understand that wisdom is truly uh, of great value. And Solomon said in Proverbs 3, uh, 3 uh, 13 and 14 says that uh, wisdom is better than uh, great wealth and great riches. And so we need to understand and know that, that wisdom is of high value and of great importance in our life. And so James says, how can we know that we have wisdom? How can we be assured that we have gained this wisdom that is so valuable? And he tells us here, verse 13, Who is a wise man? 
It's more than just simply knowledge. He says, a wise man and endured with knowledge among you, let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. And so it says, first of all, a wise person is not someone who has uh, who goes about boasting about the fact that he is so wise. His conversation is not built around uh, the fact of uh, look at me, look at all the things that I do, look at all the wisdom that I have. He says a wise man, someone who is truly wise in their life, a wise woman will be very meek in their in their nature. They will uh, their conversation will be in such that you can tell that they are wise. They are someone who uh, this meekness. A lot of times, it, people see meekness as weakness, a meekness of being timid and, and unable to say uh, and to profess. And that's not what uh, uh, James here is talking about. He's not talking about a unwillingness to express the truth that God has bestowed upon you, the wisdom that God has given you. He's simply saying when you are wise, you're not someone who's boastful, someone who is uh, out there uh, touting himself as someone who is so wise. He says you can clearly tell in those individuals that they're not. But in all your conversation and works, he says, you have meekness of wisdom. And he says, uh, here's also how you can tell you don't have wisdom in your life. He says, if you have a bitter envying and strife in your hearts, he says, you don't have true wisdom. Uh, he says, you, you are not speaking the truth when you, uh, when you have this envy and strife. And what he's here, here talking about is, is that there was a conflict going on within this church. A conflict uh, uh, between those who who valued knowledge. The Gnostic, Gnostics uh, believe that that, and there's people today that are even this way. They don't call themselves the Gnostics. They don't uh, uh, claim that it brings them closer to God. But we have in our society, in our world, people who worship people that have knowledge. In fact, you even talk about politicians today talking about, well, I'm not going to worry about any of that. I'm, we're going to follow scientists and what they say about the virus or what they say about this or what about that. Or we're going to let the scientists figure all this out and follow what they say. They're worshiping the knowledge that these individuals have in terms of, of the knowledge in their particular field or their area of expertise. But that doesn't mean... And James here is saying, just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you have wisdom. And wisdom isn't uh, about the amassing of knowledge into your mind. He says, if you have uh, this uh, conflict within you, if you are, uh, have bitter envying and strife within your heart, if you don't speak truth, then you are not a wise individual. You might have a lot of knowledge in your head, but you need to be someone who has, uh, uh, does not have this bittering envy. He said, what are other things? He says, uh, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly and sensual and devilish. He says, if you are someone who claims to have wisdom and you are envying towards other one, you're, you're, you're causing strife, you're causing confusion, you're causing uh, this bitterness between yourself and others. He says, this 
is not of God. This is not true wisdom. It might be man's wisdom, but it's not God's wisdom. And this is not the true wisdom that we need to have within our heart. It's not simply... uh, If you ask uh, the average person, uh, who's a wise individual? They probably would describe maybe a... Uh, a uh, older man that's sitting on top of the of a mountain and with his legs crossed and uh, in the lotus position and saying um and and is looking for true inner peace, or they might say uh, uh, somebody that's wise is uh, uh, maybe a, uh, again an older individual that has a lot of gray hair that. Uh, that signifies a lot of experience and sitting in a uh, big uh, chair that's like a throne and and sitting above everybody else, uh, kind of their image of who God is too, by the way. And and they claim that that person is wise. Experience at old age, those of us who are getting closer to it and have gotten into old age realize that just age doesn't mean you're wise. It means you might have experienced a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that you've experienced them in the right way. And, and James here is saying uh, those are not the values that you want to have in your life. This is not true wisdom. Wisdom isn't something uh, someone who would allow uh, individuals to have strife towards one another, to, to argue with one another, to, uh, to cause conflicts. True wisdom is not something that is, uh, that is from the world. It's not earthly. Uh, it doesn't cause strife. It doesn't cause confusion. It doesn't cause uh, people to have uh, uh, this uh, kind of evil work within them. And what he is saying is, is that true wisdom is of God. If all of these things are true of, of false wisdom, then the converse or the opposite is true of true wisdom. And true wisdom, he says, is of God. Now, what are the attributes of true wisdom? He gives a, a kind of a grocery list here. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is pure. <laughs> It's peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit. So he says, first of all, true wisdom has the purity of God upon it. It is wisdom from God. And if it is from God, it can only be pure. It is uh, right and just. It brings about the righteousness of God. True wisdom is wisdom that doesn't glorify itself, but has the purity of being from God, it, it uh, uh, you know uh, anything and everything that is related to God is pure and holy, and so he says, uh, true wisdom has the purity of God. It is uh, it, the backbone of true wisdom is is purity. He says it uh, it is and and because of that, it has the attributes of God. Not only purity, but peace. In gentleness, it has the attribute of uh, uh, not only that, but it's peaceable and gentle, easy to be uh, entreated. He says true wisdom has the attributes of God, wanting to cause not conflict, but wanting to uh, and not making decisions that is just clearly one-sided for one uh, group and therefore by making that decision uh, creates more conflict he says it's peaceable it brings about a conclusion that everyone 
agrees with it. Everyone gets along with it. It's gentle. It's not harsh. It doesn't cause, uh, you know, uh, I've not been in front of a judge uh, as a uh, defendant or a plaintiff, but I've seen people that have been in court and been uh, on that part, uh, that aspect of the court system. And a lot of times people that, that receive a judgment, they're not always happy with it. They don't like the way the judge ruled. They don't like the way in which the judge handed down the decision. There's a lot of decisions that the Supreme Court lately has been handing down that a lot of people aren't uh, liking. And as a result, it doesn't bring gentleness. It doesn't bring harmony. It doesn't bring people together. He says true wisdom uh, seeks to do that. It seeks to make the, the decisions that, that are, are right and just. And by doing the, uh, so, it brings about uh, a gentle spirit. It causes everyone to feel good about the decision that was made. It causes them to have peace rather than the conflict that brought them there uh, together. It is uh, easily entreated, meaning uh, wisdom is eager to share that great wisdom. It's not something that is forced upon others. It's not something that is, uh, 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 the wisdom is not uh, sitting there uh, being delegated out because people have to hear this and, and being forced upon people, but rather people come willingly or eagerly to hear that wisdom and it's not kept uh, to the, the person that has the wisdom. They're eager to share that great great wisdom that God has bestowed upon them in their life. And he says, not only that, great wisdom is full of mercy. Mercy is unmerited grace. Mercy is showing kindness to those who don't deserve it. And when you think about a judge sitting there in judgment over other individuals, you think of someone who has the opportunity to, to dole out punishment, someone who's there to, uh, pull, uh, to deliver justice. But justice can be given with, with, uh, with accuracy and with uh, justice in mind, but also can be given in mercy as well. It's not vindictive. It's not uh, given out in such a way that is punitive, but rather is uh, with great mercy. <coughs> he says it's full of great uh, good fruits and with par- uh, without partiality and without hypocrisy. It demonstrates the nature of God. And the fruit of righteousness, he says, is sown in peace of them that make peace. The last words that he says about wisdom is full of peace. The great desire of all those who uh, were of the Jewish persuasion at that time uh, was about desiring peace. Their greetings when they would greet one another uh, was, may there be peace within the kingdom. And the other person would say, may the kingdom have peace. And a lot of people uh, intended to say those words so that meaning that there would be a cessation of hostilities between an opposing force and the people of God. But, but what most people did not realize is that it had nothing to do with invading armies, but rather it really spoke about the peace of God. When the kingdom of God is ruling within our heart, 
we have true peace. And when we have wisdom within our life, we have the true peace of God because we're living not at odds with God, but at peace with God. And we have the true peace that comes with having God as a part of our life and leading our life and giving us wisdom and direction in our life. To truly have the wisdom of God is to have peace with God, allow God to direct our pathways, to direct our life, and to help us to be a guide to others. It's my hope and prayer that God will lead you in understanding the peace of God and understanding how to truly be close to God through an effort of having His wisdom in your life, of having uh, not just simply a... And there's so many Christians today, as I said before, that just simply want to have, okay, I'm going to stamp you with uh, the stamp of a Christian. Boom. And they're happy with the knowledge that, hey, I'm going to heaven. But to be a true Christian, you need to desire to not only have the benefits of having the, uh, the precious blood of Jesus Christ wash away your sins in your life, but a true Christian desires to have within them the presence of God. And by having the presence of God in your life, it means you, you cast aside all those old things in your life that, that are polluting your life, the, all the things of who you used to be, all the old influences of life and, and all the things that life has forced down upon you and has caused you to, to change into the person away from God. Salvation, your relationship with God is to allow God's presence in your life and with God allow you to go out and live the way that you did before you had Christ and you know the presence of God is to, is to cause a desire within you to cast all those things aside, to cast away the, uh, the old attitudes of, of selfishness, of, of desiring things that are, are uh, illicit and, and wrong, of, of desiring to have all the things that, that uh, sin and the sinful nature bring into your life. Having the presence of God means to have that purity that James spoke about. If you don't have that purity within you, then the presence of God is not dominant in your life. And which do you want to have? Uh, God's presence can be dominant in you and cause you to have His attributes, His character within you. But if you allow the world to continue to influence you, that means a little less of the presence of God is influencing you and more of the world is influencing you. If you're a Christian that's having problems with all these things, then the presence of God is not as great in you as it should be. Well, I have a problem with all these things. I have a problem with this. I have a problem with, uh, with, with going out and doing all the bad things I used to do. Well, then allow the presence of God to dwell within you. Let Him bring peace in you. Let Him bring the wisdom of how to live and to act so that more of His presence is felt in your life and less of the world. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, Lord, I pray that You would bring us ever closer to You. Help us to, to avoid the, the things of this world and cling to Your presence within us. 
Uh, with salvation comes your uh, presence in our life. And Lord, help us to allow the purity, the holiness, the, uh, the, the goodness of your presence to bring within us a change. And with that change, wisdom and how to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.